I'm Lori. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're finishing up our do-over um, series with a special panel. We have Pastor Stan, Pastor Tim, and Jordan. And um, maybe before we begin, can you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves? <laughs> what uh, you do? Oh, okay. I, uh, I do pastor, but I also do spiritual direction, which is involved in helping people wherever they are in their spiritual life to uh, get unstuck. Good morning, I'm Tim. I work here, of course, on a part-time basis. And then I'm also a psychologist uh, in a group practice in Santa Monica. Hi, I'm Jordan. Uh, I am a coach. I've been doing that for almost three years and I work with women of color doing general life coaching and career coaching. Okay, great. Thank you. I don't know if you guys all know that about everybody, but thank you for, for introducing yourselves. So we're going to start with Tim. Um, can you tell us what's this idea about a do-over behind the do-over? <laughs> so many of you know that uh, I'm going to call out Kelvin. I've known Kelvin for many years, and he is my basketball coach. And <laughs> our, our families go back. What's that? Down defense. Yeah. <laughs> Kelvin would help us focus in on, on defense. And our, our family knows each other uh, for many, many years. And so when I came here first to Westlight, uh, it was natural for me to go to him and to ask him his thoughts about the culture here at Westlight. And as you know, Kelvin, he's a straight shooter. He'll, he'll give you his honest response. And he said something quite wise to me. He says, we're a second chance church. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And he's, and he's like, well, a lot of people come here um, coming from another church or another community, and they just want a different experience. And as I've attended here year after year, I, I think that that was such a, a, a tactful and, and wise comment because I, I see it in, in a lot of our interactions. And as I look around the room, this is many, the majority of people here have come from different churches. This isn't your first church. And so I think it's in our culture, in our DNA, actually, we are a church plant, right? That uh, we are a, a church of second chances. Um, and we, this is why this, this sermon series is so, I, I feel, um, it resonates with a lot of us because we are a do-over church. Um, the question that we can ask ourselves then is, are we engaging in this church at Westside on a weekly basis differently than we did in our prior church or different, differently than our church um, in the past in different communities? Um, or for those who this is their first church, even specifically on a week-by-week -week basis, uh, for example, like today, are we engaging in church um, in a more effective way than we did last week? Are we engaging with our community or with God in ways that are um, an improvement on last week? So that's my, um, my thoughts about Do-Over. I think it's very um, consistent with uh, the DNA of this church. Mm, yeah. okay, yeah, that's good. Thanks for sharing. Um, throughout the ser sermon series, we've been talking about being all good or all bad and, and the benefits of being good and bad. Um, seeing things that way, but Jordan, can you share like how, I don't know, what are the dangers of thinking all bad and all or all good? I'll try. Um, I, yeah, I think it's interesting, Tim, that you talked about like being a second chance church and how Kelvin shared that because I think for me personally, like 
the idea of like not trying not to think all good or all bad keeps coming up in the context of like thinking about the church and the sermon series specifically because in the last few years especially I feel like I've been learning a lot more about the history of like not just our church but like the greater church um, and a lot of its shortcomings I think most of us have heard other churches causing a lot of pain whether it's from their leaders or just from people um, their personal experiences at church and for me, like I was and I still do get really angry hearing about all of these countless stories of how people have just been, yeah, so, caused so much pain from the church. And I think at first I found a lot of comfort in like seeing other people really angry with me and like hearing all the other stories like, oh yeah, I've like they did this wrong and they did this wrong and like it kind of fueled that fire that I felt and so it felt kind of comforting like, oh yeah, other people see this the way I do. Um, but I think like in the long run, even though it comforted me in the short term, I think in the long run, I felt like it didn't actually bring me that much long-term comfort because in the end, it wasn't actually like more loving and gracious like I wanted the church to be, it just like kind of flipped and now we elevated another way of doing church versus the old way of doing church. And so for me, that's why it's really tricky to say like, oh yeah, church is all good or all bad because there's so much nuance, right? Like there are definitely spaces that aren't ready to change and people do need to set their own personal boundaries and leave those spaces. But then there are spaces like hopefully like with this series where we're able to like engage as a community and take more uh, steps towards healing and love and grace for one another and so I think that's part of why it's like really difficult to say this way is all good and this way is all bad and I hope that that's not what you take from this series is that the way we're teaching you is all good and the way we, we've been doing it is all bad because like for all I know what we're talking about it could be completely wrong or considered completely wrong in like 5, 10, 20 years right like for me, a lot of the research and background that I've been using in my sermons are from like Western modern scientists and researchers. And so even like in today's world, like maybe people on the other side of the world or from different cultures might feel like that's not right. And so even what we're talking about in this series, right? Like it could, we're just trying to help you uh, navigate like our current context and our current culture, right? And I think that's the, point of all this is that we're just trying to do the best that we can in our current day in our current context and I hope that we could also give that same grace to like our parents and our grandparents that maybe we feel like we need do-overs from hopefully they were all just doing the best that they can too right and that's all the grace and uh, hope uh, love that we could like give to one another so yeah mm. I think okay oh, I was gonna say that yeah it's I wish we could just be like, oh, we're just gonna think all, you know, good and bad, the and or, but or and, you know, what I'm talking about. <laughs> but it's a process, and so like, Stan, you have some comments on what that process looks like. It just doesn't happen overnight. And so um, I'm gonna go over uh, what was introduced to me as steps to adulthood, but lately I've seen these more as elements of attachment, which is another word for relationship. And all of these steps, um, I believe, are coexistent and they need to be revisited. And, and when we're talking about do-over, I think part of the, the thing is 
where we have attached to certain things, they need to be re revisited. And so these are some elements to maybe look at in terms of that. So the first element in adulthood is this element of connect. And if you think about it, when a, a child is first born, the parents want to connect with the child. So you, you try to find some connection, some common uh, things that you can uh, basically be, uh, feel like you're uh, one with or have this interaction with. The problem, or not the problem, but what happens is if you stay in that level of relationship, it's always going to be about where both of you have to be the same, or you have to have a disagreement in that. And so the next step is actually to learn about separation. So in other words, that you want the child to be able to see that, well, I'm s separate from my parents, or in a relationship that I'm separate from another individual, that I have my own uh, unique types of uh, uh, wants and desires, and, and I am an individual, and I don't have to be the same as this other individual to be able to have a relationship. So the, the third thing is to be able to accept the good and bad in ourselves, which basically means that when we see that we are different than somebody else, that we don't automatically think that we are bad because we're different. And so it's a matter of being able to see that, well, there's things that I don't like about myself, and that's okay because I'm a whole individual and I can learn to accept those things and live through those things. And then the, the last step is to accept the good and bad in others. So in other words, uh, kind of like what Jordan was saying, a person is not all good and not all bad. That, that there's a, a combination or, or uh, a composition of both. And just like you are not all good and not, not all bad, other people are the same. And so what we need to do is be able to have the capacity to be able to, to move in a, an attachment that allows for these things to be explored without emotional hostility or trying to change someone or, or shame or all these things that oftentimes when we attach to somebody, that's what happens, that we maybe try to manipulate them to become what we think would be a better person. Or we may uh, have these think, thinking of, I, I, have to do, I have to have a relationship with somebody who, who is, validates me all the time. And that is a wrong attachment to yourself. It's in, so in those steps of maturing, and that's why it's called steps to adulthood, that you, as when you're raising a child, you learn about helping them help connect, helping them learn to separate, helping them to see good and bad in, in themselves, and helping them to see good and bad in others. And that allows them to have at least a basis for a healthy uh, relationship or attachment. Yeah, I feel like we've been talking a lot throughout the series about attachment theory. And so my question for you, Tim, is as a therapist, like how does your field relate to God and the church? 
One of my good friends, he was dating this prospective partner. Is that how you say it? <laughs> um, and he was telling me about her in a negative light, and uh, it was hard for me to, uh, I'm very close with him, and so I got protective over him. Then I finally met her, and it was hard for me not to be biased, and it was just wasn't a good start. Um, have any of you experienced that when you met somebody and it, it just wasn't a good first impression, it wasn't a good start, right? That's what happened with psychology, the field of psychology and the church. And it was because of this guy named Sigmund Freud, who was the inventor or creator of um, psychology, psychotherapy. And he had a, a Jewish upbringing and his relationship with, with religion wasn't positive. So his theory was that religion and faith was an illusion and he saw it as a defense mechanism. Um, because of that, it, the church and psychology had a bad start in their relationship. And similar to what Pastor Stan was saying, the church saw psychology as all bad and psychology saw the church as all bad. Um, I can give you a history lesson a little bit more. There's this time where and then another person by the name of uh, Carl Jung came in and then he sort of provided a, a corrective. He said, religion is beautiful. It's something that needs to be explored and processed and something that contributes to our emotional health. So that um, helped us in terms of the relationship between the church and um, psychology. Over time, pastors have recognized um, the value of mental health and to the point where counseling is very much integrated within the church. A lot of larger churches have lay counseling programs. Um, a lot of larger churches have care ministries. And so people fully understand the connection between mental health or mental wellness, emotional well-being, uh, and their faith now. Um, I often think, whenever I see somebody struggling in their faith, I often ask myself, where are they at emotionally um, with their mental wellness? And oftentimes, um, they're struggling, and vice versa as well. So there's definitely an integration and a connection. And um, Thankfully, over the years, there's been a much healthier connection and relationship between the church and uh, psychology. Stan, can you speak to that? I know you had some thoughts. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I believe that uh, you are, your spiritual life is comprised kind of like your physical life. That in your physical life, you have different systems that operate in your body. You have a respiratory system, you have a circulatory system, you have a digestive system. And if one of those systems is off, it affects all the other systems, even though the, the primary issue is in that system. So you can't just focus in on one system. You have to have an integration of all the systems to be able to properly identify what the issue is. And I believe that's kind of what uh, Tim was alluding to, is that you know we, we basically put uh, things in silos and not seeing that they actually interact with one another. And uh, as uh, a person that God wants us to grow into, it's about integrating all of those things together 
and becoming a whole individual. And so I, I believe discipleship includes looking at your mental health. That uh, if you are struggling, like Tim said, with depression or things that uh, are uh, shame and things, yeah, there's scripture to help and, and that's wonderful, but there may be something more that you need. And so a person like Tim can help you have the tools to be able to identify those things. And that's not unscriptural. That's, it was meant to be integrated. I think God gives us all, gave the world this knowledge to be able to, to integrate it all. And uh, unfortunately, our, uh, in the past, we haven't done well. I don't know if we're doing better now, but hopefully we are. All right, um, Jordan, can you just share with us how we as a community can move forward now that the series is over, we've examined all our pain? <laughs> give us some application steps. Um, sure, yeah, I thought it would be helpful to give a metaphor to use as a kind of framework for us to keep in mind as we are thinking about next steps and what to take from this. So uh, I thought of houseplants because, like, Many other people over quarantine, I got really into houseplants really fast, but it's taught me a lot. And um, even if you own zero plants or any, not into gardening, I think most of us know, right? Plants need sunlight and water, they need nutrients um, and warmth. And so for our metaphor, we're going to say that we are all the plants, God is the water and light, and then the nutrients are like the resources that we've talked about like our community, different like maybe professional resources, um, things like that, our faith, things like that. Okay, so um, even though we know that we all need some combination of those things, the real learning curve is like figuring out how much of each element that we need. And so for example, like when I was taking care of plants, I was like, oh no, my leaves are turning yellow. What does this mean? And then when you Google it, they're like, it either means you have too much or too little water. And I'm like, no, that's what I want you to tell me. Like, do I give it more or less water? But um, basically the whole point is that like plants, we all have unique needs and there's no like, each person needs this specific amount of devotional and Bible study every single week, right? We all have unique needs um, that we kind of have to like, trial and error to figure out like what rhythm works for us. I think Pastor Stan kind of talked about last week, like the steps that we were talking about, you kind of have to figure out what rhythm we need to, it's not just like steps one, two, three, it's a cycle. So um, that's one, the first thing I want us to keep in mind. Um, the second thing is that plants' needs may change, right? So like uh, the clearest example to me is like when you're trying to grow more plants, it's like propagating. So you, when you trim it and it needs to grow new roots, um, it needs a lot of light and warmth and just water. You could just grow more roots and water, right? And so like maybe if you're a new Christian, then you need a lot of like support in um, Bible study and establishing your faith. And you need a lot of God if we're calling that light and water, right? But then over time, eventually, once the roots are established, we move it to soil where it gets more of its nutrients. And um, I'm saying this because like, kind of like my trust in God sermon, right? A lot of times we might feel like, oh, we just need more God. We just need to hold on to Jesus and that will solve all of our problems. And like I said, yes, there are times we do need that, but also like in order to help us really grow and thrive, we need God and other nutrients that we've been talking about throughout the series. And so, 
Um, that's the second thing I want us to keep in mind. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like I said, we need God and the resources they've given us to thrive, right? Just like plants don't need just water and light. Some do, but you know, most plants need other nutrients too. So we do need God and all the resources that they've given us. Um, and then the last thing I just wanted to say is that it's okay for us to have needs, right? I think sometimes for me, I'm like really perfectionistic, really high achiever, and <laughs> lately I've just haven't been having to remind myself like, I'm human, I'm allowed to like have needs, I'm allowed to not be perfect, I'm allowed to um, ask for help, and um, yeah, I think it's not, hopefully we've all learned like it's not bad to have needs, it's just a fact that we all have different buckets that we need to fill, different needs. Um, it doesn't mean like, oh, you're doing something wrong or that something's wrong with you if you need more nutrients or if you need more than what other people may look, seem like they need, it just means that you're living and you're alive. And there's never gonna be a time that, or a certain age or something where we're like, oh, okay, now we've arrived. We don't need anything anymore. We have a perfect rhythm down, we've got it. Um, it just, we're just always gonna have these <laughs> needs so that we're going to, we're going to like interact with God and, and engage with the people around us and, um, and to take, we always will need to take care of ourselves. Um, so yeah, I hope that this framework kind of helps you be kind to yourselves and be kind to others because other people have needs and their needs look different too. Um, and most of all, just acts as a reminder to always take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good, thank you. Yeah, so we wanted to open it up to um, you guys, so if you have any questions about, I mean, we had this special panel. This is like a perfect time to ask any questions about do-overs or about the sermon series. If you're at home, um, you could type in the chat. Um, we have people who are ready, you know, if you have a question outside, feel free to raise your hand and Natalie will come around with the microphone. But I don't know, does anybody have a question now? Okay, thank you so much, man. I was like so blessed to have such wonderful, insightful, wise people. So thank you, please give the panel a hand. Thank you so much for sharing and, and encouraging us as we do this do-over thing. Um, I'll just close this. You guys can, you know, was like you guys have been so courageous, and how uh, I could hear when I talk with some of you about I'm feeling these feelings. I don't even know if you realize it, but that you know, it's it's really hard. And you guys have been so courageous in sharing. And and our theme this year is story, and part of our stories is pain, right? both individual and collective. And pain can be unbelievable, we've seen this. It could be nonsensical, it could be unjust and undeserved, just in this past week, right? But our experience is that pain, our pain is not just our own. And so rather than denying or minimizing and projecting our pain and brokenness onto others, we have learned in this past month how to um, embrace our wounds and our pain and make our way through the pain with the help of our triune God and with the help of one another. We need one another. I love what they shared. Like, we can't do this alone. We were created to go through this and share life with one another. We're not meant to suffer alone. And so I'm going to ask, not, this, uh, not suffering helped me think of the worship team, <laughs> but I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, and we're going to take communion this morning. 
Communion is a sacrament that's created to remind us of who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf. And Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection is the ultimate do-over. And he is the fulfillment of this new covenant that, he, that God has with all of humanity. The sacrament was inaugurated the night before Jesus' death on the cross. And Jesus and his disciples were sharing, over, sharing the Passover meal. And Jesus invited them to share in his pain and his suffering. I like to think that maybe, you know, of course Jesus was preparing his disciples for what was going to happen. But I also think maybe he was preparing himself for what was going to happen. That yes, he was excited that, um, you know, this, his resurrection, his death and resurrection was going to bring new joy and new hope and new life. And, and that he was going to be back with his father. But maybe he was also grieving that his time this would be his last meal with his closest friends, that his time on earth was, was coming to an end, and so he's grieving that. But also maybe his, his death and his suffering was heavy on his heart and his mind. And I like to think that maybe he invited them to share in what he was feeling when he took the bread and he took the wine and explained what he was gonna go through, that he was embracing the cross and the resurrection. I love how the translation um, puts Hebrews 12 to the, the Passion Translation. It says, we look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention and expectation onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. So as we take communion together, we do it as the church, as a community, and by partaking of the bread and the juice, we share in Christ's pain and suffering and his death on the cross. And we are also sharing in the new life and hope of the resurrection. So on the night of Jesus's, before Jesus' death, he and the disciples laid around the table together and Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. the same way he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant of my blood do this and as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat and this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes 